Welcome to uh, Birkegaard 2023, the writings of Soren Kierkegaard. Oh, there's a lot to do today. There's so much to process. So we're going to get started. If you want to stick around for some updates on the uh, personal story, hang out to the end. That'll be the uh, the after pod a bit. Uh, it's not really after pod. You know what I'm saying. You don't have to listen to it unless you like some of the gritty details of what's going on and my life, I do try to relate to Soren's. Soren's very helpful in a lot of these things to make sense of. All right, so last week we got into the idea of voluntary suffering, uh, that we embrace additional suffering on the behalf of manifesting uh, the good and wanting the good. We're willing to absorb, uh, absorb suffering in order to see that the good, uh, the good, triumphs or has a chance to triumph. I don't think there's any guarantees, but we have to be willing, I suppose. Uh, not a lot of good happens in this world by accident. Uh, good is hard. It doesn't mean occasionally that blessings uh, occur without a whole lot of antecedents, but my philosophy is trouble comes kind of naturally. Good takes work uh, because that's part of the system, part of the, the fallenness of the world. And, and good does exist, but it's it's not. It's usually intentional. Usually, somebody made that good. Somebody planted that tree. Somebody planted that flower garden. Um, so voluntary suffering. And you know, I mentioned uh, that someone who would help out their neighbors and others, uh, friends uh, during like a blizzard, would be an example of, of someone who's willing to voluntarily embrace suffering. And I uh, employed the recent uh, blizzard up in Buffalo. And for those of you who are not familiar with Buffalo, it sits very close to Lake Erie, which means it gets a lot of lake effect snow. Uh, so imagine a storm system blowing into that area and having a fairly large source of water to draw from and cold air. Uh, it's 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 like this natural snow machine. So Buffalo gets an ungodly amount of snow. Um, it also is very, very cold, and the winds are chilling because the um, the lake operates uh, in the winter, in particular, as a giant, uh, giant like ice box, a source of coolness. Um, it's hard to describe unless you've been there, and I wasn't there during the blizzard recently, but I was there last February, and so I used the idea of somebody who go would go out during a blizzard to help their friends or family uh, voluntarily. They wouldn't have to do it, but they're doing it because of a desire to help somebody. And I read this story um, on voluntary suffering about this gentleman who uh, he fled the Congo after his parents were killed in the war. He went out for supplies during the Buffalo blizzard and died after being found face down in the snow. Uh, his name is Abdul Sharifu. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. Like the, uh, the headline said, he fled the Congo after his parents were killed uh, 26 years ago. Uh, he uh, was resettled in Canada, then moved to Buffalo several years ago. Uh, he was married and had a baby on the way. Literally, the baby is a couple weeks from being born. Um, Abdul went out for supplies uh, during the blizzard uh, for a French child who was uh, in need of milk, and uh, he never came back. His cousin, Ali, who was also a refugee that was resettled, uh, said he, he, uh, he was helping everybody. He, he d doesn't care who you are or where you're from. Um, and I want to I give... Uh, I want to give 
you know, in a small way. And I understand it's a small way. This is not, this is not going to change the world uh, or make things better for the family or his friends who are obviously grieving and will forever, uh, particularly his son or his daughter who's being born. I think it's a son. I think they did a prenatal test, but I'm not sure. But his child who's being born is going to know his dad uh, died laying down his life for his family and his friends. And uh, the Gospels say that's the greatest uh, spiritual act of all is laying your life down for your friends. And when we do, uh, when we voluntarily assume suffering, we can't do it with a spirit of animosity or duty. We do it because of love. Uh, to want to suffer just to suffer is not normal. Uh, but to suffer on behalf of others, to help them, uh, we're more like Christ when we do that than anything. And Jesus laid down his life for his friends. He calls us his friends, and that's a, that's a tremendous compliment, of course. Uh, so I wanted to do my bit to acknowledge him, um, just to acknowledge him, and I don't know where he stood in terms of his relationship with God. All I can say is his act is... Uh, indicative of a person who was being Christ in that situation. He laid down his life to help his uh, help his friends. And let's remember his name, Abdul Sharifu. Let's remember his name and make it make it worthy of uh, consideration and contemplation. Uh Buffalo's been through a lot since uh you know since the last couple uh, years or a year or so. They had that shooting up in Buffalo that was a racially targeted attack on one of the few grocery stores for black people up in uh, up in Buffalo. Buffalo is somewhat of a, a segregated city in a way that the uh, the city part has more African Americans in it that came up for industry. A lot of the South, a lot of these uh, families came from the South, of course, and uh, the North, even though it was cold and even though it was bitter, and Buffalo in particular, they had better opportunities and there was less discrimination up North. Um, you know, before the Civil War, during the Civil War, and after the Civil War, certainly there was segregation, but it was less virulent than what they had in the South. So a lot of uh, black people uh, migrated with their families up to industry and factories and stuff like that up in, um, up in the Northeast, which is called now called the Rust Belt. Um, but Buffalo had that shooting at the grocery store where that white supremacist, and it's interesting, these supremacists, supremacists never look very supreme to me. They're a bunch of losers with guns. Uh, you know, killed all those uh, black people. Uh, predominantly, I think it was almost every black person, if not every black person, was killed. Was a black person. Uh, so they had that. They had a fire over Christmas where like seven children were killed. You know, a lot of that's uh, because of the blizzard that the you know, fire department couldn't get out because the roads were um, a mess and dangerous. Uh, you know, people that live in middle class and above communities have more resources uh, and stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, Monday Night Football. Uh, I don't know if you were watching or not. I don't know if you're a fan of football, but the uh, player from the Buffalo Bills, uh, Damar Hamlin, who's from Pittsburgh, which is a town a lot like, he's from the Pittsburgh area. Uh, he's from an area uh, that's very similar to Buffalo. You know, blue collar, cold. Uh, a lot of good people, man. Uh, the people in Buffalo are very proud of their town. You have to be tough to live there. And if you go out to western Pennsylvania, it's pretty similar. You know, it's the old... Uh, you already use this term, the Rust Belt, where all this industry used to be, and it's it's all rusting away. 
And if you go up to a place like Allentown, you see the old Bethlehem steel plant that's, uh, you know, blocks and blocks and blocks and blocks long, and it's, it's just slowly decaying. It's not in use anymore. And all these, uh, all these cities used to have a ton of industry, which was very good for uh, blue-collar people that didn't have the same educational opportunities. They could get a decent job, have a pension, have health care. And with the demise of manufacturing and automation and globalism, as a lot of these uh, jobs are disappearing, or if not already gone. So Damar Hamlin's from, I think, McKeesport, but I could be wrong about that, but somewhere out around uh, Pittsburgh. And he's that Buffalo Bills player that had a cardiac arrest out on the on the field. And there was a lot of um, a lot of blowback on the NFL that the NFL wanted to continue the game, and the players and the coaches said, no way, we're not playing. There's a difference between somebody who gets um, taken off the field who's okay you know, is able to move their arms and legs and the game continuing. That makes sense. You had a lot of people pay a lot of money to go see that game. And if, you know, somebody's been injured, but they look like they're on the path to recovery, even when they're on the field, that's a little bit different versus a guy that was just knocked out completely cold, fell backwards, looked like he had been shot. Um, and the players and the coaches refused to play and good for them. Uh, there's something more important than the game. And, um, Buffalo's a special place, and let's keep uh, Buffalo people in our prayers. I have a friend that lives in Buffalo with his family, and uh, they take they take football seriously because it's the hope and dreams of the uh, of the uh, of the community that the Bills would uh, would win the Super Bowl. I know how much it meant to Philadelphia when the Eagles won uh, several years ago, and it really shouldn't be that important, but it is, and I get it. But um, Buffalo Bills fans love the players. It's not like they're treating them like they're not precious human beings and it was demonstrated when uh when demar fell backwards had cardiac arrest there was a type of hit to his heart it sounds like that was just at the wrong time that uh caused his heart to go into cardiac arrest and um, he had started a foundation or a fundraiser to help buy toys for kids that didn't have uh, families that could pay for christmas toys uh, so he's trying to give back and you can always appreciate a pro who is not just going out and buying car after car, you know, uh, different Maseratis or whatever Hummers, fully equipped Hummers, and just, uh, you know, buying uh, garishly because they've made it. They've made their dream come true, and now they're acting like crazy people. It's nice when a professional athlete who is skilled gives back to the community, and he's a good guy. So uh, let's remember let's remember Abdul Sharifu. And let's remember Damar Hamlin uh, today in our own small way. I want to I want to speak their name. Uh, last week we had Kierkegaard uh, talking about this horse, and I'm just going to reread it because it, it ties into something else. But then there was one horse who was all alone. Now when this horse heard the call, when he saw the herd was gathering in the evening, and he understood that they were about to hold a meeting. They came running in the hope that he might learn something about life and its ways. He listened carefully to all that the elders had to say about how no horse should think himself fortunate until he is dead, how the horse of all creatures is most subject to the tragic changes of fate. And now the elder went over the many agonies to suffer hunger and cold to all but kill oneself through overwork, to be kicked by a cruel, a cruel driver, uh, to be abused by an unskilled persons who not a single step you take will satisfy, yet who blame and punish the horse for their own blunders. And then at last, uh, some winter, when old age has come, to be driven out into the bare woods. At this point, 
The meeting broke up, and the horse who had come with such eagerness went away dejected by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. Uh, Proverbs uh, 15, 13. He had understood perfectly all that had been said, but no one uh, there had even so much as mentioned his suffering. Yet each time he noticed uh, the other horses hurrying off to a gathering, he came running eagerly, hoping always that now it would be spoken of. And each time he listened, he went away with a heavy heart. He came to understand better and better what others were concerned about, but he came to understand himself less and less, just because it seemed as though the others excluded him, although he too was present. And Soren kind of personalizes this to a human being now, his, his reader uh, or his listener. Oh, you sufferer, whoever you may be, if your suffering was not hidden because you wished to hide it. Oh, you sufferer, whoever you may be, if your suffering was not hidden because you wished to hide it, for then you can manage your action calls for a different common. But it is because of misunderstanding then you too have gone among men. Listen carefully to their explanations, sought out their instruction, taken part in their meetings, but each time you finished the book and each time the conversation was over and each time the amen was pronounced, then your spirit was broken because your heart grew troubled as you sighed. Oh, that such a thing was all that I suffered from. Oh, but you are not wholly wanting and being understood for even if you yourself may have done nothing to deserve it, you shall be bidden to the highest thing of all, to the most high himself. Uh, Soren is is uh, transitioning here from a horse to a human being. Oh, you sufferer, alone and abandoned as you are by the generation to which you belong. Know that you are not abandoned by God, your creator. Everywhere you are surrounded by his understanding, who offers itself to you at each moment. In it, unite your will. In it, you unite your will with the good and the edifying contemplation is always ready to remind you of the presence and its very existence as a source of security to the living. Um, we're important to God. Uh, and we mentioned that Christ, uh, in assuming uh, humanity, assuming the human frame, assumed our suffering and all that that entails, and also its joys and its limitations. Uh, but God is well acquainted experientially with suffering because he himself suffered. So let's uh, remember the suffering in the world. Um, we have to be attentive to things. Sometimes our power to change stuff is limited, but maybe not. Maybe that's a cop-out. We can do more good than we assume, but it usually starts locally. The closer we are to a problem, likely the more helpful we're going to be. But... Um, the power of attention. God pays attention to us. He pays attention to our story. And there's a few other things I want to share before I move on to new territory with um, uh, with um, with uh, Soren's writings here. So Abdul and Buffalo was one of the 34 people, at least, who died in the snows. So let's remember the families and their friends and remember the community. Try to help out if we can. But at least be mindful of them, and their lives were important. I think the most depressing thing about life can be somebody who lives, and it's as if they never lived to start with. Um, and that horse is feeling that way in this story, that he wants his suffering to be mentioned. He wants his suffering to be validated. And he's hearing a bunch of people talking about suffering in a, in a global sense, but nobody acknowledges his suffering. And a friend of mine uh, a couple of days ago had posted a... Uh, a song by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds called Bright Horses. And I'm just going to read 
uh, read the lyrics and listen to the song. It's available on YouTube. It's Bright Horses, Nick Cave, and Bad Seeds. Uh, Nick Cave is an Australian musician who's having a tremendous impact right now. Um, the bright horses have broken free from the fields. They are horses of love. Their manes full of fire. They are parting the cities, those bright burning horses. And everyone is hiding and no one makes a sound. And I'm by your side and I'm holding your hand. Bright horses of wonder springing from your burning hand. It's kind of spoken poetry music. If you know that type, it's uh, something that is interesting to listen to. The lyrics are very uh, comprehensible. Oh, oh, oh. Um, and everyone has a heart and it's calling for something. And we're all so sick and tired of seeing things as they are. And horses are just horses and their manes are, aren't full of fire. The fields are just fields and there ain't no Lord. And everyone is hidden and everyone is cruel. And there's no shortage of tyrants and no shortage of fools. And uh, the little white ship dancing at the end of the hall is just a wish that time can't dissolve at all. Oh, oh. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, this world is plain to see. It doesn't mean we can't believe in something. And anyway, my baby's coming back now on the next train. I can hear the whistle blowing. I can hear the mighty roar. I can hear the horses prancing in the pastures of the Lord. Oh, the train is coming, and I'm standing here to see, and it's bringing my baby back, right back to me. Well, there are some things that are hard to explain, but maybe my baby's coming home now on the 530 train. And he's talking about a baby boy that he lost, or at least a boy. I don't know if the, the baby was technically a baby still, but you know how parents call their children babies, even if they're older. And he had lost his son in 2015. Uh, so I love, love this verse that um, he gets into in the pastures of the Lord. The horse is not forgotten, although other horses and human beings may not acknowledge the horse's pain. I think it's, it's godly to have concern for other living things and not to be cruel and malicious and just show charity like Saint, Saint, Saint Francis of Assisi. Some words I have a problem with in some phrases. St. Francis of Assisi is a friend of the animals. Uh, I don't mean to be a vegetarian here. I'm not. But I think we should treat animals with uh, care. And they, so you can tell a lot about a person in terms of how they, treat, how they treat animals, how they treat dogs and cats and pets and things. And one of the danger signs in working with kids that are dangerous and a threat to others is how they treat animals. If they have a, a background of torturing animals, you know, letting, lighting them on fire, blowing them up, you know, pulling their pulling their tail off, whatever kind of sick things uh, disturbed children can do. That's a danger that a barrier has been crossed, and they will likely be harmful to other people. I had a friend growing up in the neighborhood that used to build these very, very intricate uh, models. Like, I don't have that ability. This kid was super smart. Um, you know, I'm not stupid in a lot of ways. But I'm not skilled in that way. I'm not good with models or three-dimensional thinking or architecture. But he would put together these planes, these model planes that had all these pieces with glue and blah, blah, blah. And then he would take them out, out and burn them in the driveway or blow them up with firecrackers. It never seemed quite normal to me to put so much effort into something. Like, I didn't have that skill. If I could have built a model like that, I would have put it up on my shelf and been proud of it. But he would take them and put them in the driveway and pour gasoline on them and burn them up. 
or stick an M80 in them and blow them to smithereens. And never seemed quite normal to me, even as a kid. He was uh, maybe a year or two uh, younger than I was. And he wound up um, committing suicide when he was like 21 years old. And, um, you know, it just concerned me. Even as a, even as a teenager, I knew it wasn't normal to do that. Uh, there's a local story. I just want to mention one more thing and then get into uh, something from Simone Ville. And then we will read some storm. At least I'm not talking about myself as much today. My own trials recently. I understand it can be a bit wearying to hear about how somebody else is suffering. I hopefully don't take myself too seriously, but seriously enough. Okay, so a recent uh, individual passed away. Uh, Lampeter Strasburg School District Transportation Coordinator of 27 years, Jeff Landis, was also a guy behind the wheel of the bus, which is unusual. If he's the uh, director of transportation, he doesn't have to be a bus driver. Uh, delivering LS football, which is Lampeter Strasburg, local high school boys basketball and boys lacrosse teams at, at, uh, to their destinations for about as long of 27 years. And most of the time while he was at those games, even he would find a way to lend a hand, keeping the book, announcing or even running the scorebook, scoreboard clock. Quote, any sport he did, he didn't get paid for that. Retired LS teacher Matt Cooper said of Landis, who died uh, December 19th at the age of 56. So he's about three years younger than me when he passed away. He was a salaried employee as an administrator. He just did it, driving the bus to sporting events because he wanted to do it. Though a quite per quiet person, Landis made a lasting impact on those with whom he interacted, as evident in the many former LS students who showed up at the celebration of life service for Landis on Thursday night. It was probably 75% students, Cooper said. These students are now adults. They drove in from everywhere. I've never seen anything like it. Every kid you talked to had a meaningful relationship with the guy. Cooper recalled an annual trip in which LS students delivered presents to about 350 residents of a nursing home in the Columbia borough every December. And I live close to Columbia. It's kind of the most beat up town here in Lancaster County. It has the saddest story of all. If Jeff didn't volunteer to drive it, it would have never happened, Cooper said. The former LS uh, boys basketball coach, John Achille, remember, remembered once taking a van of his players um, to a basketball camp in Alvernia, at Alvernia uh, University in Berks County, which is up where Reading is, only to realize he had locked the keys inside the van while in a grocery store parking lot. Achille called Landis. Jeff hopped in the car and drove the whole way to get me a key, Achille said. About a dozen years ago, uh, the LS boys basketball team was playing in a holiday tournament across the Susquehanna River at Eastern New York High School in Wrightsville, uh, Wrightsville, York County, which is just right across the river from here. Landis was driving the bus. <clears throat> he missed the uh, turn into Eastern New York, which is up on the hill. It's a beautiful, beautiful view of the Susquehanna River, <clears throat> but it's very hilly. It sits on top of like a majestic high point. Uh, there's actually a park down there called High Point, uh, which is the highest point in York County. Uh, the turn into Eastern York stopped and reversed into a neighboring property. The bus got stuck. Current uh, LS boys basketball coach Ed Berryman said the basketball players got out and pushed the bus. Uh, the the player basketball players got out and pushed the bus bus out. Landis then got off the bus, knocked on the door of and 
<clears throat> the door of uh, that individual's property and provided his contact information to the owner of the property who now had tread marks in his lawn. We'll pay for that, Landis said. During his months-long battle with esophageal cancer, uh, Landis sat in a wheelchair when he was honored at halftime at an LS boys basketball home game against Elko, Eastern Lancaster County, on December 16. The crowd gave Landis a standing ovation. He told me after the game that it gave him a lot of energy, Berryman recalled. Landis died three days later. Honest to goodness, Cooper said, I've never heard of anybody, anybody say anything bad about Jeff Landis. Um, <clears throat> it's the power of attention. There's something about Jeff Landis uh, that uh, the kids knew that they were valued. We, we were all flawed, flawed people, and we, uh, we all struggle. But it doesn't mean we're not valuable. It's, uh, it's our, our, uh, our value is uh, not diminished by our sin. Uh, Christ came to die for us. So you must see us as valuable, that we're not just trash or just wasted people. Uh, people. We are creatures of eternity. And uh, this uh, Landis guy, you know, probably never heard his name. I can't imagine many of you did. Maybe didn't hear of Abdul Sharifu either or Damar Hamlin. But these are all people that demonstrated uh, that a willingness to suffer and to be inconvenienced, to pay attention when it was easy to ignore. And I just want to implore us today to, to pay attention. Uh, sometimes we want to do grandiose acts of uh, service to humanity and uh, to be exceptional. But here's what exceptionality is, is to make the everyday special, to make every interaction special, to remember the attorney Eternity is involved in everyday interactions with every other individual. C.S. Lewis talked about that if we were to see somebody in their final state, we'd either fall down and worship them like they were an angel or uh, a demon of hell uh, because eternity uh, continues and we're a part of that. <coughs> so the miracle of attention, this is from Sivon Veal. I'm going to... Uh, just mention a story that she told. And uh, for Simone Veal, attention is love. So keep this in mind. If somebody says they love you, they have to give you attention. Now, there could be an over-attention, like a, a mother who is so doting on her child, the child is going to be like a bonsai tree, just a miniature version of an adult. Uh, so there's there's some wisdom here. But attention, godly attention, um, holy attention, uh, treating each person like they're important, no matter what their station is, in life is, is sacred. Simone Viola was a philosopher and a writer. Uh, she was Jewish. She lived in France during the occupation. Uh, she uh, assumed the suffering of, of poor workers and of prisoners. Uh, she had converted to Christianity, but she refused to take communion because she wanted to have solidarity with Jewish people who were going through the Holocaust and deportations from France with the cooperation of Vichy, the Vichy government. France in World War II had thrown in and thrown in the towel very quickly and decided not to fight the Germans for the most part. And there was a resistance, but it was relatively ineffective until the Allies got involved. So Simone Veil, um, her last name is W-E-I-L, but I think it's Veil. Uh, for Simone Veal, attention is love, and love is justice, that there can be no love or justice without attention. 
One of the many myths that Simone Veal enjoyed and employed in her work was the legend of the Fisher King. This little story, maybe better than anything, sums up her teaching. You will probably remember how the legend begins. You have to imagine a most desolate landscape marked in the middle by a frozen pond. There is absolutely nothing living here, but in the corner of the pond sits a man who happens to be a king, a horribly wounded king whose wound is deeply painful and unhealed. He's ice fishing, of all things, sitting by a little hole in the ice, catching nothing. Now onto this uh, God-forsaken landscape rides a dazzling young knight. He's high on a big, powerful horse. So here's a horse again. Uh, armor, brilliant, full of confidence and purpose. He, of course, is in the pursuit of the Holy Grail, and he charges up to our poor, pitiful king and barks out, Where's the Grail? The king is hardly engaged by his visitor and simply looks away. Now, as we get to as we get to do in legends, we will fast forward thirty years, back to the same frozen scene, the king still wounded, still no fish. But our returning knight who comes riding down to the pond is looking a little worse for wear. He's not quite as shiny and brash, and this time he looks at the king, and instead of asking him uh, the self centered question, what, where's what I'm looking for? He asks him what's, ca what's called the legend, the redemptive question. What ails thee? At that moment, the scene is transformed. The wound is healed. The landscape bursts into flower. Fish leap from the sparkling pond. Birds sing, and the king says to our knight, the grail is just over up over the hill. Now, of course, the grail... That the knife, the knight found, the knife found, the fork, knife, and spoon found, didn't look at all what he thought it would look like, and he found it through the agency of a person he would have never imagined could reveal the truth, someone he never thought was his neighbor. But the pivotal moment in the story is when the knight actually looks at the king, when he gives him the creative, redemptive gift of his attention. Again, let me read this over. My apologies again. I pulled away the microphone so you didn't have to listen to the, the gory, the gory uh, sinus cleansing. Uh, <clears throat> maybe i do that again. Now, of course, the grail the knight found didn't look quite at all what he thought it would look like. <clears throat> I have a frog in my throat. I don't know how the frog got in there was probably a tadpole first, and found it through the agency of a person he would never have imagined could reveal the truth, someone he never thought was his neighbor. But at the pivotal, pivotal moment in the story is when the knight actually looks at the king, where he gives him the creative, redemptive gift of his attention. So I wanted to read that slowly and carefully. And here is what Simone Veal had to say in its... Uh, in one of her most beautiful essays. Not only does uh, the love of God have attention for its substance, for the love of our neighbor, which we know to be the same love, is made of the same substance. Those who are unhappy have no need for anything in this world, but people capable of giving them their attention. The capacity to give one, one's attention to a sufferer is a very rare and difficult thing. It is almost a miracle. So that's some uh, 
that's a, that's a beautiful story. Uh, let's remember. Let's remember uh, Jeffrey Landis. Let's remember Damar Hamlin. Let's remember Abdul Sharifu. And let's remember Soren Kierkegaard. Let's remember them. Uh, let's remember them. Let's give them our sacred attention. I love that. Sacred attention. So today in your interaction with others, and as we continue into 2023, a good, a good uh, resolution to have is be more attentive to others around us. Uh, Soren, in his writings on suffering, wants us to acknowledge that others share in our common humanity. Oh, to edify oneself in a living way with the suffering of others is a comfort, and to dwell too exclusively on one's own suffering may easily become that doubleness of mind who, which thinks that there is comfort for all others but none for itself. Uh, but th- this is not so, for with the suffering each has his own, be it great or small, but with comfort it is certainly true that there is comfort for all, and, and in fact the same comfort for all. Uh, it's interesting that um, Soren puts in about halfway through uh, this chapter on page 159. <coughs> I really want to deal with this frog once and for all. I need to have frog removal surgery this morning. <clears throat> My listener, perhaps you are tired of so much talk about suffering. <laughs> well, we still have, uh, let's see, mm-hmm. I don't mean to depress you here in terms of how long this book goes, but it's two, uh, 219 pages. We're on page 159, so we still have about a fifth of the book to go. Uh, <sighs> oh, life, you suffer alone and abandoned as you are by the generation to which you belong. Know that you are not abandoned by God, your creator. Everywhere you are surrounded by his understanding, which offers itself to you at each moment. In it, you unite your will with the good, and the edifying contemplation is always ready to remind you of that presence, and its very existence is the source of the security of all living. So there we go. He gets into, in this chapter, a a young young man that's born into the world and never uh, gets like for like. He never has a girlfriend. His mother is troubled and doesn't pay him attention. And when he dies, it's kind of like Eleanor Rigby. Only the pastor or the priest is there, maybe uh, an acquaintance or two. And uh, it's a pretty sad story. Um, But I think we need to pay attention to people where there's not a lot of worldly reason to pay attention to them. I think that's holy. I think it's good. I think it's good for our soul to acknowledge the inherent dignity in other human beings, regardless of their station. And Eternals, uh, Soren writes on page 169, for the Eternals' comfort is pure gold. Uh, So knowing that God knows our suffering. He may not deliver us from it, depending on his purposes, but... For the eternal's comfort is pure gold. I agree with that. It brings into the everyday a sense of meaning with our suffering, which is really like what Viktor Frankl talked about in his uh, Man's Search for Meaning, that there's purpose in the suffering. Uh, We read of the apostles when they were scourged. They went out on their way rejoicing, gave thanks to God. So too it shall be with the true sufferer. For when the eternal heals, the wish to continue the pain for the eternal does not remove the sufferer from time, 
but there's no whining, no temporary distraction, no deceitful evasion. Uh, still eternity stands open to him. Also, the true sufferer must also answer for the manner in which he has used his time, answer for whether or not he has used the earth, earthly misery to allow himself eternally to be healed. Uh, Soren mentions in his, in his writing that we pray for temporal healing, but we should really always be looking at what the temporal pain uh, points to, which is eternal healing. Uh, we can... Um, we can suffer in this world and not be healed of our ailments, whatever they may be, physical, uh, uh, psychological. We talked about that last week. But God will heal us eternally. One should never give up hope. You hypocrite, answers the eternal. Why do you speak so equivocally? You know well enough that there is hope. There is a hope that should be put to death, that there is a lust and a desire and a longing that should be slain. Earthly hope should be put to death. To put to death, for in just this way did man first come to be saved by the true true hope. Therefore, the sufferer should never be willing to accept deliverance in that temporal sense. Hebrews eleven fifteen on the world's terms. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're at the, the end of chapter ten, uh, on the cusp of uh, of uh, chapter eleven, the price of, of willing one thing, the sufferer's use of cleverness to expose evasion. So, using cleverness to expose evasion versus creating evasion, and uh, maybe think of the apostle Paul who had that thorn in the flesh. He he prayed that God would remove it, and Jesus uh, declined that prayer. Uh, the answer was no. And we have to remember that uh, no can be an answer to prayer. It doesn't always mean that God gives us what we want. We may not know what we really want or really need. God does. And if he chooses not to heal us, uh, then that's his decision. We can certainly beseech him, though, to consider our petitions. Uh, But it kind of confused me as a young Christian why God wouldn't heal my knee pain or my head pain. I didn't understand that because I was reading in the New Testament that Jesus healed people right and left. And here I was trying to get healing and God wouldn't give it to me. So anyway, about three or four minutes left or five minutes here. Here's a quick, quick update on my situation, if you care, and you may not. Uh, but you can turn it off if you don't give a rip. That's fine. <coughs> so yesterday I went to get my teeth cleaned. I was supposed to have my teeth cleaned later in March, but um, they were able to move it up sooner because somebody had a cancellation. Yeah, I was due for cleaning. It had been six months since the last time. <clears throat> but I didn't have dental insurance until uh, January 1st, so my appointment had to be after January 1, 2023, and it was going to be in March because that was as soon as they could get me scheduled, but then somebody canceled and I got moved up. And it's a good thing I got moved up because yesterday after my teeth were clean and you know sprayed and scraped and this and that, uh, the dentist was able to see in the tooth that was really, really hurting, and when I use the word hurting, that's an understatement. Is the most severe pain um, I've ever had in my life. I would have confessed to things I'd never done in order to have that pain in. Like I kidnapped the Lindbergh baby. I dropped the atomic bomb. Um, I owned slaves. I would have confessed for all kinds of things that I was not responsible for or did personally just to get the pain to end. And when I went to the dentist on an emergency appointment on the 21st before I was supposed to go out to Sacramento on the 22nd, they didn't see anything in the x-rays, didn't see anything about looking around in my mouth. But yesterday, my, my teeth were given a deep clean and a deep scrubbing and polished and this and that. And on the x-rays that they took, um, they were able to see that the tooth is cracked. 
uh, completely through. So that's why it was hurting so bad. And all the ambisol in the world is not going to take care of that or the aspirin. Uh, and also what happened because of the crack, uh, they got infected. So there was like a, a bacterial infection, which was putting a pressure on the tooth from underneath. Uh, so regardless, I have to get oral surgery. I'm glad that I have dental insurance this year. Last year, I decided not to get dental insurance because it wound up costing about the same with the cleanings, uh, the premium, monthly premiums, and the cost of paying out of pocket was about the same. My treat, teeth have traditionally been pretty good. I had no suspicion that my teeth were going to go bad. I was going to have a crack in my tooth. But I decided because it came out to be pretty much zero in terms of the premium expense versus how much it would cost me to pay out of pocket that I should just get dental insurance. <clears throat> just pay for it just in case something dumb happened, like I cracked my tooth mountain biking or something. And I'm pretty sure this uh, crack in the tooth came from some kind of jarring crash that I had on a mountain bike in the past. <clears throat> um, so fortunately, I have dental insurance, which is going to pay for at least a chunk of the expenses of getting this tooth extracted and having a uh, an implant and having a crown and then having the smaller crack on another tooth filled, which I can still do because it's not so big. Oh, brother. But man, I, I'm just thankful that I have dental insurance. And just to kind of end on the Sacramento note, to give you an update on that, I had to uh, cancel the trip because the trip was canceled. Uh, the trip from the flight from Harrisburg to Sacramento was canceled on that day that they had all the weather chaos. The same thing that created the uh, Buffalo blizzard was the same thing that canceled flights all over the United States, especially with Southwestern, uh, but other airliners to some extent. So my flight from Harrisburg uh, to, to, um, to Chicago was canceled. I couldn't get out to Chicago in time. Uh, I had tried the day before because I knew the storm was coming to see if I could... Um, uh, get a different flight to Chicago, but they all got me later to Chicago and had more stops, like an additional stop to uh, Harrisburg, another stop then Chicago. So I had to pull out. Uh, my tooth was hurting. I didn't want this tooth issue to play out in Sacramento, that's for sure. I had a cold. I, my body was stressed out. I think my, my body was just getting worn down. You only have so much bandwidth when you suffer physically. <laughs> and with the tooth being about the, about the highest amount of suffering I could handle, uh, even though it's better right now, it could flare up at any moment. Uh, I just got sick. And the idea of getting out to Sacramento just seemed like it was impossible. The very, um, very uh, reality was against me. I could get myself to O'Hare by driving or something. <clears throat> Perhaps taking a different airliner from a different airport like Philly or Baltimore. Uh, but I'd have to catch that flight to Sacramento, which was up in the air, whether that was going to fly out or not. And then I got to O'Hare late, and then I'd spend Christmas in O'Hare. So as it turned out, I got together with people that I didn't have plans to get together with. I got to see my brother on New Year's Eve. Uh, I got to go out and play disc golf with a couple friends of mine on the uh, 26th of December. I got together with um, Jeremiah Miller, who's the guy that played Soren Kierkegaard in the play Leap that he wrote. I uh, got together with a friend and drank some, uh, some barley wine. Uh, let's see what else. I just got to do things that were fun around here, and it was really, really good. If I'm neglecting anyone or anything, I got to help my dad out and take him down to Philly uh, to his doctor's appointment, so that was good. And uh, that whole, the whole thing worked out. So uh, hopefully heading up to Sacramento sometime in March, uh, the end of March, beginning of April. I uh, got refunds on everything besides the flight back with American because I was going to fly United out, and they were the airliner that canceled the flight. So American doesn't have to give me a refund. 
they just gave me a travel voucher so i'm waiting for that to appear in my my account and then i can build on the trip going out to sacramento hopefully in march <clears throat> or um early april uh so etern eternity's comfort is pure gold for the eternals uh, comfort is pure gold and uh, i just want to end on this note uh tim keller talked about this recently <clears throat> i still have that frog in my throat so today is froggy it's froggy time uh, Tim Keller was interviewed recently by uh, Michael Horton uh, from the White Horse Inn. You can look that up on your podcast platform. And Tim Keller mentions that um, the resurrection changes everything. All this suffering, everything is going to end well in the world. Uh, because of Jesus being resurrected from the dead, he triumphed over illness, despair, depression, abuse, injustice, racism, prejudice. Uh, the resurrection changes everything. It's not just a physical necessity that Jesus was raised from the dead, which it is to validate his claims of being the savior of the world. It's also a moral necessity. Evil didn't win. Uh, if Jesus had stayed in the grave, um, all the wicked, all the apathetic, all the abusive could, could stand on top of the pile of humanity and says, listen, cruelty and injustice and meanness and hatred ultimately wins. It beats everything. It's the final, it's the final say. Uh, but Jesus, by assuming all that evil and triumphing over it, it's a moral necessity. The resurrection is an absolute moral necessity. Um, Jesus must have been raised from the dead to validate his claims and to validate his, his, uh, his claim also of triumphing over evil. And just imagine if Jesus had not raised from the dead. Do we really want to live in a world where the most evil person can sit, can stand on top of the, the skulls and the crossbones or the uh, skeletons of thousands and thousands of people and cackle at the universe and said, I triumphed because uh, I was more evil than anyone or everyone. No, Jesus, Jesus sits atop of that pile of humanity and those bones shall live. So that's today's message uh, in the spirit of Soren. And I uh, hope you get off to... Uh, a good 2023, but pay attention, pay sacred attention to those around you today, and we're going to be what God wants us to be.